Hello, caller. You're on the air. Well, well, well. It's been a long time. Good to hear from you, old friend. We're sorry about the hiatus, but it's good to be back. Yeah, okay, but why have we come back? I guess the kids are back in school, so why not now? I guess so. But you can never be too sure it's exactly safe to send the kids back to school, right? What do you mean? No, my friend, you're about to find out. Here's three school stories from hell. Warning. What you're about to hear is true. At Hookswitch Hotline, we delve deep into shocking true crimes, including murder, violence, kidnapping, mutilation, and sexual assault. Not for children or the squeamish. Some will find this podcast disturbing. Listener discretion is strongly advised. It's disgusting, it's wrong, and it's just, it's evil. It's evil. In the city of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, Coy Nolan and 17 other former students have filed criminal abuse complaints against Saskatoon's Christian Center Academy. After a 12-month investigation, Saskatoon police handed the file to Crown prosecutors in April to consider possible charges, according to police emails to students. It's unclear when the Crown will make a decision. The allegations include frequent paddlings, many of which allegedly occurred after the Supreme Court of Canada outlawed corporal punishment by educators in early 2004. I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, like I tried for so long, you know, to pray it away, you know, try not to be what I was, just so that I could stay with my friends and my family and, and the church and the school because that's the only thing I really knew. There are also allegations of coercion, traumatizing rituals, and solitary confinement. Former students have shared diaries, police statements, and other documentation. They say the physical, financial, social, and emotional control from school and church officials was absolute, and that it has taken years to regain their dignity and sanity. Some are still struggling. The first student to come forward to police, Caitlin Erickson, said, It's taken a long time for people to speak up. I mean, it was a cult. It was essentially a cult. End quote. In 2004, at an office in Saskatoon's Christian Center Academy, the school's director had interrogated Coy Nolan for several hours after informants told the director, Coy is gay. Coy, who was 16 years old at the time, says the director called him, quote, evil and, quote, an abomination. Coy was suspended and told they would try to cure him. Coy said, he told me I'd have to take it like a man, end quote. Coy and his mother, Carolyn, say they agreed to the home visit in May 2004, assuming they would discuss the suspension. Immediately after, the four officials from the school walked into the house with officials from the adjoining Saskatoon Christian Center Church. They inappropriately put their hands on Coy. They began shouting unintelligible sounds in spoken tongues. Carolyn said, quote, I was no longer in control. I was pushed aside, end quote. Carolyn cried in the corner of the room for more than an hour until they stopped. Coy says the director took a large wooden paddle, bent him over, and hit him hard enough to bruise him and leave him limping. Coy said, That was one of the worst days of my life. Even now, just thinking about it, I go numb. This was abuse. This was a hate crime. End quote. Officials with the adjacent Legacy Christian Academy, the name was changed from Christian Center Academy in 2013, initially agreed to an interview and said they'd answer all questions. The next day, they emailed a written statement and declined to answer any further questions. The statement said, We are grieved to learn of former students who feel they were subjected to abuse during their time at CCA. We encourage and support any former student who feels this way to file a report with the police 
so these matters can be investigated and dealt with properly and legally, end quote. Like other private schools, parents pay tuition and participate in fundraising. Christian Center Academy has also been receiving Saskatchewan government funding for the past decade. Most of the former students who've come forward attended between 1995 and 2010. But there is no time limit on legal complaints of this nature involving minors. Students and experts interviewed say all government subsidies and tax breaks for the church and school must be halted until police and prosecutors have dealt with the complaints and the government has conducted a full investigation of the school's current practices. They say some key staff have left, but the former principal and school director are now teaching at other Christian schools in Saskatchewan. CBC News has obtained an eight-lesson manual called the Child Training Seminar, written by the father of the current pastor. Students say that during their time at the school, it was sold in the gift shop along with Bibles and a selection of handmade wooden paddles of various sizes. Students say it was used by school staff and strongly recommended for parents. More than 20 pages are devoted to the benefits and practical applications of, quote, scriptural discipline. It states ungodly professors, researchers, and psychologists who opposed corporal punishment are influenced by the devil and should be ignored. It says, sometimes spanking will leave marks on the child. If some liberal were to hear this, they'd immediately charge us with advocating child beating, states the handbook. It gives detailed instruction on the types of infractions that warrant paddling, such as riding a bicycle while forbidden. Quote, have him bend over and apply the paddle firmly. Don't permit any wiggling around or jumping around. Don't allow any predisciplined howling or sniveling. Don't let his crying and begging diminish the severity of punishment, the handbook says. For parents, it states fathers are the head of the household and must ensure the discipline is unemotional and consistent. It warns against using verbal discipline and says, mothers need to particularly guard against this, end quote. It's unclear whether any of the handbook remains in use today. The current student handbook makes no mention of corporal punishment in its forms of discipline section. Coy Nolan's exorcism and paddling occurred after the Supreme Court ruling in 2004. After the Supreme Court ruling in 2004, Coy Nolan was subjected to paddling and an exorcism. In the ruling, the court limited corporal punishment to parents, and only under narrow circumstances. It must be proportional, can only be done on children between the ages of 2 and 12, and no implements are allowed. It banned all other officials from doing so, and specifically mentioned teachers and school officials. Queen's University law professor Lisa Kelly said any teacher paddling a student after January the 30th, 2004, was clearly committing an assault. She said that applies in any school, public or private. Criminal law applies to all of us. It is crystal clear, she said. Kelly also said any corporal punishment before 2004 could also be a concern for police and prosecutors. She said spanking, paddling, or strapping a child hard enough to leave marks has long been considered by judges as excessive force. Caitlin Erickson shared a story about her and the rest of the senior girls volleyball team being accused of whispering during a weekend church service in the fall of 2003. They say that the following Monday at school, they were lined up in the auditorium and yelled at by the director, the principal, and their female coach. One by one, they were taken into a side room where one of the two male staff paddled them, they say. The team's captain, Christina Hutchinson, said, It looked like a canoe oar. Adult men doing that to a bunch of teenage girls. It was so cruel. They were all crying, but I was so angry, I didn't cry, end quote. Like Erickson, Hutchinson said the school and church operated like a cult. She said, everything is based on constant fear, fear of being paddled, fear of going to hell, end quote. They say most girls ended with marks and bruises on their buttocks that spread as far as the back of their knees. 
Hutchinson's sister, Stephanie, said, I remember a week later, we were comparing bruises in the locker room and saying, oh, we must have been tired on you because yours isn't nearly as bad as mine, end quote. She said some sessions were so vigorous that paddles broke and had to be duct taped back together. Erickson and other students say officials were acutely aware of the law. She said the school's director handed out wafers in late 2003 in anticipation of the Supreme Court ban and asked parents to allow staff to continue paddling their children. Some parents refused to sign the document. Kelly said wafers would be useless as a defense in court. A parent cannot consent to another person applying punitive physical force on their child. One year after the Supreme Court ruling, the Saskatchewan government passed legislation banning corporal punishment in public schools. Kelly and Watkinson said this was redundant because the Supreme Court ruling already applied across Canada. Sean Kotelmach, who attended the school from 1996 to 2008, said he had difficulty keeping up with the largely self-directed curriculum, which relied heavily on memorization and obedience. In his frustration, he began to talk back. He said, They made me think I was stupid. Kotomak said he endured a punishment akin to solitary confinement as a 13-year-old. He was forced to arrive at school 15 minutes before other students, work alone at a desk in a small windowless room for the entire day, then leave 15 minutes after his classmates had already departed. He said this continued for two weeks. Kotomak said he was also paddled multiple times. He said he and others would pad their buttocks with up to nine pairs of underwear to soften the blows. If discovered, the student would be forced to remove the underwear and punishment would increase. Kotomak said, Every part of me wanted to walk to the police and simply pull down my pants and show them what was done to me. But I was scared. I was so scared. I worried my parents would get into trouble for sending me to that school. End quote. In the statement, officials said any homophobia alleged by Coy Nolan and others does not exist at the school today. The statement said, quote, Our position on LGBTQ issues is that all students are welcome in our school, and we strive to provide a safe place for every student to grow and learn who God created them to be. We are committed to creating an environment where everyone is valued and treated with dignity, love, and respect. Therefore, we would never discipline our students for their sexual orientation or gender identity, end quote. They say the school is a different place than it was even a few years ago, with many new staff and many new leaders. The school said, we would welcome conversations with any students who might wish to come and revisit the school and hopefully find an opportunity for reconciliation, end quote. Caitlin Erickson, Sean Kotelmach, Coy Nolan, Christina Hutchinson, and others say many of the longtime staff and their relatives remain in key positions, from the pastor to the school principal. They say no effort has been made to apologize publicly or privately. Coy and his mother Carolyn say that following the exorcism in their home, officials declared Coy would be sent away to a special school in Edmonton to be cured of being gay including officials forcing Coy and others to attend protests against gay marriage legislation. Because their extended family, friends, finances, and children's futures were all connected to the church and school. But the exorcism was too much. She stayed up all night writing a letter to the director and placed it at the windshield of his car. She said, I thought this would be a wonderful school, but this was ridiculous. I'm not sending my child away. We left and never looked back. It was like a thousand pound weight lifted from my chest. It was the best thing I ever did. After graduating from a public high school a year later, Coy Nolan spent a couple of years in Banff, terrified to admit he was gay even to his own mother. He eventually told her in a phone call. She said, I know, I love you, come home. 
McCoy did, now working in the Saskatoon department store and in a loving relationship, the 34-year-old said life is still a struggle, but he has many reasons to be grateful. He said, it took a long time, but I'm proud of who I am. Students say the people who committed the abuse must be held accountable, but that there were many other adults who witnessed it and did nothing. They wonder why this systemic abuse was ignored for so long. That's why they want the provincial government to investigate the school itself, freezing any funding and canceling any tax breaks until all questions are answered. In a written statement, a provincial Ministry of Education official said three on-site inspections are now conducted annually on independent schools, and the most recent one at Legacy Christian Academy occurred June 8th. It also said the Ministry of Education has not received any complaints regarding LCAs since funding for qualified independent schools began in 2012. Erickson says that's not true. She shared a June 20th email exchange with Education Minister Dustin Duncan's assistant. Erickson emailed Duncan to say she reached out to your office a number of times and received no response. End quote. She identifies herself as a former student of Christian Center Academy, now Legacy Christian Academy, and informs him of the criminal investigation underway. Before calling on the minister to defund LCA and other private Christian schools, she said, You have been told time and time again the damage these schools do. End quote. For this next story, we travel to Clayton County, Georgia. On August 12, 2020, the Main Street Academy in College Park announced La Rosa Asker as the school's new 8th grade mathematics teacher. She had previously taught at a Clayton County Middle School. Late one night, the Main Street Academy sent parents an email announcing the firing of an 8th grade teacher, but didn't give specifics about the teacher or the reason for the firing. The email reads, The Main Street Academy holds its governing board, staff, and teachers to the highest ethical standards as adhered to by the Georgia Code of Ethics for Educators. Due to a violation of these standards, an 8th grade teacher's employment with the Main Street Academy was recently terminated. We are working quickly and respectfully to address this transition with our 8th grade students, as well as their parents and guardians." End quote. What the email doesn't state is Imani Bell died on August 13, 2019. In July of 2020, a Clayton County grand jury indicted La Rosa Asker, the head basketball coach at Elite Scholars Academy in Jonesboro, Georgia, and Dwight Broom Palmer, the assistant basketball coach, on charges of second-degree murder, cruelty to children, involuntary manslaughter, and reckless conduct. Tasha Mosley, the Clayton County District Attorney, said, The murder charge is second-degree and is based on criminal negligence as opposed to malice. End quote. Imani was a junior at Elite Scholars Academy on July 13, 2019 when she was running up football stadium steps as part of a practice held in extreme heat and collapsed, according to a lawsuit filed in February by the girl's parents. The temperature at the time was approximately 98 degrees, with a heat index temperature between 101 and 106 degrees. A heat advisory had been issued that day for Clayton County. An autopsy conducted by the Georgia Bureau of Investigations attributed her death to heat stroke caused by strenuous physical exertion in extreme temperatures. According to a statement from lawyers for the family, no pre-existing medical condition was found. At a news conference, Mr. Miller said, Common sense not being common can literally kill your child. You have coaches that want to win more than take care of these children. End quote. In addition to Ms. Asker, the lawsuit names as defendants Jason Greenlee, the school's athletic director, Shonda Shaw, the principal, and Philip Ramsey and Ashley Baker, assistant principals. Mr. Broom Palmer is not named in the lawsuit. 
In court documents, Miss Asker said that it was her first day as coach for the girls basketball team and that she was relying on the direction of the athletic director and other academy personnel to conduct the conditioning activity. Mr. Miller said it was also Imani's first day. For today's final story, we go to St. Louis, Missouri, where Jim Wilder was once a successful cross-country coach until multiple allegations of sexual abuse derailed the coach's career and cost him his job. A former student accused Jim Wilder of sexual assault, but she died just before a critical court hearing. It's just been a real nightmare in general. Oh, God, I'm getting like, uh, you know, I, I know it, the problem is I can make it because my side makes the story more juicy and then it's a really great story. You know what I mean? Wilder was arrested not once, but twice on child sexual abuse allegations while working as a track and cross country coach at Lindbergh High School. Wilder's first arrest came in 2008 after a 15-year-old female student told police that he had had inappropriate sexual contact with her. She claimed that the abuse began when she was in the 8th grade and Wilder, who also taught at Sparing Middle School, would massage her knee after school. Referencing the police report, legal commentator and former prosecutor Lonnie Combs said, This 15-year-old girl was able to give quite a few specific details about Coach Wilder. She talked about conversations they had had where he talked about his marriage, his relationship with his wife, and his penis size, end quote. The teen alleged that the abuse continued in high school, including one occasion when they both touched each other in the wrestling office after Coach Wilder had locked the door and placed a box in front of it. She told police that Wilder had touched her vagina and she had touched his penis several times. Wilder was arrested in 2008, but months later, St. Louis prosecuting attorney Robert McCulloch decided not to prosecute the case, citing a, quote, lack of credible evidence that any sexual contact had taken place, end quote. But before the case could go to court in 2014, Morris was found dead in her Baldwin apartment, asphyxiation, her head in a trash can, though police never determined if it was accidental or something more. Without a victim, formal charges against Wilder were dismissed. I'm sorry, Lauren. In an almost seven-minute-long phone conversation, Wilder opened up. This has just been a living nightmare. They say no justice. Well, justice through the media is not justice. I didn't get due process either. The reason I never even, they offered to settle. The reason I did not settle is because I wanted due process on this. Because I did not do what I was alleged to do. My part was not flattering. I, I totally agree with that. But it was not anything close to what their the allegations. I was the pursuit, not the pursuer. And this South County Times reported that within months, Coach Wilder had returned to the classroom and told the news outlet that the experience had been an absolute nightmare. Throughout it all, though, he claimed his wife and children had remained supportive. He told the South County Times, quote, I have kids and they were dragged through this, wondering why I was at the police station, why I wasn't at school. My wife and I talked to our kids and said, here's what's going on. And there was never a waiver on the part of my family. We all came out of this fine.
Years later, in 2013, Wilder was arrested a second time after his former student Emily Morris told St. Louis County Police that Wilder had sexually abused her when she was just 16 years old in the 1990s. Morris alleged that she and Wilder had an inappropriate sexual relationship, often performing oral sex on one another, while she was on the cross-country team beginning in 1996. The relationship sparked whispers among her peers and even resulted in a meeting between Wilder, Morris, and her parents in the principal's office to discuss the rumors. But at the time, both Morris and Wilder denied having any inappropriate relationship with one another. The Riverfront Times reported in 2013 the sexual relationship allegedly continued through September of 1997. Morris supported her claims with an 87-minute recording of a conversation she had about the relationship with Wilder in 2013. After arranging to meet Wilder in a St. Louis area shopping mall parking lot, Morris secretly recorded their talk with the recorder tucked in her sports bra. Wilder was arrested and charged with six counts of sodomy, but the case against him was dropped the following year after Morris was found dead in her home under what her family believes was mysterious circumstances. The Morris family was able to get a copy of the 87-minute recording to the school board in 2015, two years after he had been placed on paid administrative leave following the 2013 arrest. We did something that wasn't right according to our laws these days, right? But. You know I'm not a creeper. In May 2015, the Lindbergh School District's Board of Education voted to uphold the termination of his contract with the district. Under the terms of the settlement, Wilder denied the allegations against him, but agreed to resign. He received severance pay representing salary from May 5, 2015, when the contract was terminated, to June 30, 2015, with an additional $5,000 severance package. Wilder retained his teaching license but was prohibited from ever applying to work in the school district again. The district said in a statement, Our responsibility is to keep students safe at all times, end quote. Emily Morris's mom, Joan Morris, found little comfort in how Wilder left the district. She said, As soon as Lindbergh schools received new evidence in 2015 from St. Louis County Police regarding Mr. Wilder's conduct, the Board of Education and Administration took immediate action to terminate his contract. The agreement, signed in 2015, ensures that Mr. Wilder never stepped foot on a Lindbergh campus again. Wilder being able to withdraw the way he was, I'm furious. He kept his teaching license. He was not a registered sex offender, end quote. Reporter Jessica Testa said if Wilder had been convicted of the sodomy charges against him, he would have lost his teaching license. But because the case was dropped with Emily Morris's death and the charges were never adjudicated, the license was never taken away. In recent years, Emily's family says Lindbergh school officials failed her. In 1996, Lindbergh's principal conducted a complete investigation of possible inappropriate behavior between Wilder and Emily and found only that Wilder was, quote, a positive influence on his athletes, end quote. In response to what happened in 1996, Lindbergh School said it had no record of whether the information concerning Wilder and Emily had been reported to social services. The district further said its responsibility is to keep students safe at all times, and that outside of the principal's investigation and Wilder's two subsequent arrests, it didn't receive any other complaints from parents or students during Wilder's 22 years of employment. The principal, David Skillman, who left Lindbergh High in 2001 and has since retired, did not respond to requests for comment. Every state has laws that require what's called mandatory reporters, usually teachers, doctors, and law enforcement officers, to report suspected child abuse directly to authorities. 
every crime, someone somewhere has information. That someone could be you. Email us at hookswitchhotline at gmail.com or leave a message at 415-448-7263. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hookswitch Hotline. Please subscribe and come back next week where we'll delve deep into more graphic true crimes.